So what about us? How's God going to use us? How's God going to use us as a church? This message is entitled, God Uses the Dysfunctional. So Genesis chapter 27, I'm reading from the New Living Translation because it reads faster. Um, and um, so Genesis chapter 27, beginning of verse 1, I'm going to read and we're going to skip a few verses, but we're going to keep going because I want us to understand how God uses people and how God chooses people, he uses people, he blesses people because it's for his good purposes. Genesis chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, my son, yes, father, Esau replied, I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I am trying to trick him. Then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his, brother, his mother replied, Then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you to do. Go out and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her son Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. All right, just stop there. That guy is hairy. <laughs> if you could use goat skin to, to, to emulate somebody, that's a hairy dude. I just, just, I'm just saying, all right? That guy is hairy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I, just, I, I just, every time I read that, I'm like, whoa, man, this guy's hairy. Um, she covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, included the freshly baked bread. So Jacob took, to, took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you've told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? And I love it. Sometimes we justify it when we're about to sin, and Jacob, no different. The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father, and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's. Isaac said, but he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hand felt hairy, just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob, but are you really my son, Esau? Esau, he asked. Yes, I am, 
Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it. So then he eats it. He pronounces the blessing on it. It's a great passage of scripture. It's a great blessing. It's the blessing of Abraham um, onto his son. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, who are you? Esau replied, it's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, then who just served me wild game? I've already, eat, already eaten it and blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice which means scoundrel, if you wanted to know. First, he took my rights and as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine, what is left for me to give to you, my son. Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Isaac broke down and wept. I mean, then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, You will live away from the riches of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you shall shake his yoke from your neck. Let's pray. Precious Father, we just read a lot of dysfunction, a dysfunctional marriage, dysfunctional siblings, deceiving, just a lot of dysfunction, God. We see this and we go, wow, Lord, out of this you created a great nation, Lord. Out of this you saved your people. You saved us, Lord. So, Father God, I pray, Lord God, you would teach us your word in these next few moments through the power of your Holy Spirit, that your word would go forth, it would not return void. You would use the Holy Spirit of God to divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and marrow. God, conform us into the image of your Son through the power of your Holy Spirit and your word, Lord. We thank you and praise you. And as always, Lord, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God uses the dysfunctional. Oftentimes I hear people when they come in for counseling and stuff, well, I come from a dysfunctional family. This is why I do what I do. Or this is why, because of my dad or my mom or my granddad or my grandmother. Um, and, and, and here's the reality. The reality is we all come from dysfunctional families. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, It is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you have sin, and we all do, then we are dysfunctional. Okay? Can I get an amen? You don't have to. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some people are like, Oh my goodness, this is one of those messages. Um, yes, we're all dysfunctional. 
You know what's great, though, about dysfunction and about the, our dysfunction is the fact that we don't have to remain dysfunctional. That we have a Savior, his name is Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and bodily rose from the grave. And because he rose from the grave, and if we repent, believe, and receive Christ into our life, then we, can, we no longer have to live dysfunctional, but we can live functional. That Christ makes the difference. And so therefore... God is into using dysfunctional people. I hear people say, well, I come from a dysfunctional family. Your family's functional. Well, and my response is, it's really not, but if you joined my family, then you too would make it dysfunctional. See, I mean, if there was a functional family and you decided I'm going to join it, then guess what? You would make it dysfunctional because you would bring your sin with you. I'm going to share something with you. There is no perfectly functioning church. A church is a hospital for the sick. It's just a bunch of dysfunctional people that come together that have recognized they need Christ, that Christ saves them, and he is in the process of conforming them, Romans 8, into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, to make them more functional. Now, with functional and dysfunctional comes baggage. Some of us have nice Louis Vuitton designer baggage that we take with us. Some of us like to carry backpack baggage. Some people, it's trash baggage. Some people take this baggage and they put dogs in their baggage. And they keep it as pet baggage. Some people check in their baggage at times and then get it back. But the reality is all of us, dysfunction carries with it baggage. And Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebekah, their household and their family is no different than ours. In fact, Isaac and Rebekah don't have a very good communication going on. Because Esau is Isaac's favorite and Rebekah's favorite is Jacob. And Rebecca decides that she's going to deceive her husband so that Jacob gets, gives the blessing to Jacob. I mean, sorry, so that Isaac gives the blessing to Jacob and Esau doesn't get it. I mean, do you just see the deception? Do you just see the dysfunction? This is the household that they grew up in. And you look, and out of this, God uses Jacob to change his name to Israel, to have the 12 tribes of Israel, his children, to become the nation of Israel than whom God is going to bless all the nations. He uses this deceiver. It's really, his name Jacob in the Hebrew is the same word for heal or deceiver. This is the means that God uses to bless. It's interesting, when you look at Scripture, they're ordinary people in whom God chooses to do extraordinary things. And so we see the dysfunction. We see that Esau had sold his birthright. If you were here last week, you could listen to Pastor Sean's message to Jacob. 
You don't think they got along. They did not get along. Jacob went for the blessing now. Jacob was kind of metro, and Esau was super hunter man, and like they didn't have anything in common. They didn't get along. They liked different parents. There was all these different things. Jacob's was a mama's boy. Esau was the manly man, very hairy. I, would, I can't wait to just, like, I mean, Esau, hairy. Ooh, man, like that's hairy. Like, I bet he had overpasses on his shoulders and lots of hair on his back, and he was, just a, he was just a wild man. And Jacob, the smooth skin, like, pretty boy. Could you just see it? And they're brothers. It's like, get along, be best friends. That's not going to happen. But you're in this process, and you see this dysfunctional family, and, we, and, and we're going to see how God, in his faithfulness, looks past this and uses the dysfunctional. Hey, if you're taking notes, write this down. Pull out, your, pull out your notes right now and write this down. Write these three things down. Because there's three reasons why God uses the dysfunctional. It's really important for us to see. And the first one is this, that God chooses whomever he will. What's the first reason that God uses the dysfunctional? Is because God chooses whomever he will. Now, before we get into the Romans chapter 9, I want, to go, I want to go to Isaiah chapter 55. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Isaiah 55. Hold your fingers in Genesis 27, but turn over to Isaiah chapter 55. I want to read this. It's important for us to understand that God chooses whom God chooses. He does what he wants to do. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. Now, this is God talking to the people of Israel. Declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Have you ever asked God, why did you do this? Have you ever asked God, what are you doing? Have you ever been in that moment of dysfunction where someone is imposing their dysfunction upon you or you're responding in a dysfunctional way and you're in this process and you're saying, God, why is this happening? And there's no answer. Why are you letting this happen? See, God uses whomever he wants. God chooses whomever he wants. And in this case, God chose Jacob, not Esau, because his thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so are his thoughts higher than our thoughts, so are his ways higher than our ways. If God explained to us why and how and what he does, it would be like explaining Einstein to a slug. How can we grasp and know the mind of God? We live in a broken, fallen world. God is so far above us. Most of us, we, we make God in our own image sometimes. That God's supposed to explain everything to us. That we should know everything that he knows. The reality, if we put all of human history's knowledge and information on one piece of paper, the reality is all of human knowledge and all of human, everything that we could possibly know, it would be a footnote in the knowledge of God's eternal book. Because he is so far above us. He is so much bigger than us. 
And so therefore, if God wants to choose one over another, he's God, and we might not understand it, but we can look and say, you're God, you're sovereign, and you're in control. The question is not him choosing. The question is, are we going to submit to his choices? Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Go ahead and bring it up. It says this, Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing about Israel, and he's talking about God's plan and the way he saves people. We're conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Now, this is God communicating to Rebecca. So Rebecca, in her deception and her sin, she decided, I'm going to thwart my husband because God told me that the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated now, all kinds of theological conversations of God loves somebody and hates somebody else. I thought God loved the world. He did love the world. He does love the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. How in the world can God love Jacob and hate Esau? For my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. Because God can choose whomever he will. Think about it this way, it's that God accepts Jacob and rejects Esau. Now who does God accept and reject, whomever he will? Jacob was smooth-skinned, mama's boy, chosen to carry the blessing of God. Esau was a hairy-skinned hunter outdoorsman, rejected by God. Go figure. Who can know the mind of God? God chooses whomever he will. Before they were even born, before they had done anything good or bad, God chose to bless Jacob and to curse Esau or to reject Esau. He's God. Here's the deal. How does this play out practically in our lives? If you repent, believe, and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ right where you are right now, then God has chosen you. If you repent of your sins, if you ask God to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life, then God adopts you as a son or daughter into his family. The beauty is, is that once you're chosen, you can't be unchosen. God's not fickle. It's not he loves me, he loves me not. It's not a, theolo it's not a theology of Daisy like today God loves me and then I do something bad and oh, he doesn't love me. No, when he adopts you into his own, he makes you his son or daughter. And all the inheritance of heaven, you are co-heir to the kingdom of God, Romans 8 tells us. And that that is secure. Isn't it great to know that in a world full of insecurity where relationships change just like that, that when God saves us, that he does not unsave us. He loves us. 
He chooses whom he will. And some of you go, whoa, pastor. Listen, we're talking about Jacob and Esau. And we don't want to teach part of the scripture. We want to teach the whole council of scripture here at this church. So we can't ignore passages that are there. We have to deal with them head on. And some of us say, well, I don't fully understand this. Well, submit to the power and the authority of the word of God, and God will grant you through the power of his Holy Spirit a greater understanding. So often we say, I'm not going to believe it until I understand it. No, believe it, and then you will understand it in the Scripture. Submit to it. Number two, why are three reasons that God uses the dysfunctional? God chooses whomever he will. Number two, God wants to bless us in spite of us, not because of us. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, and he's talking to the nation of Israel. And this is what he says. Everyone says, well, man, you don't see God being loving or gracious in the Old Testament. Here's a great verse that kind of dispels that. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Let's put that up. Well, go ahead and write, bless us. I'll, I'll, you can put that back up, the blessed part, afterwards. The Lord did not set his affection on you or choose you because you were more numerous than others' peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Now, this is God talking to Israel. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath, he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God picked Israel because he loved them. And he always keeps his promises. And he kept his promise to Abraham. And he kept his promise to Isaac. And he kept his promise to Jacob. But understand this, God blessed in spite of Jacob, not because of him. Jacob lies to his dad multiple times, deceives his brother, and then runs away because he feels guilty about it. And God blessed him to be the father of the nation of Israel. Let me share something with you. This should give you hope. All of you that have disqualified yourself from being a part of the church and put yourself in the penalty box of life, saying that God can't use you because I'm divorced or because I cheated on my spouse and I've asked God to forgive me a million times or I've had an abortion or fill in the blank, whatever you think that, that you've done that disqualifies you, God wants to use you. And not only does he want to use you, he wants to bless you. Amen. If he can bless Jacob, he can bless anybody. The scripture is right with it. Rahab was a prostitute, and she was the great-great-great-great-grandmother of David who was the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus. Look, I mean, look at the Scripture. It's ripe with it. God uses dysfunctional people to do extraordinary supernatural things. But yet, if you've ever watched hockey, what happens? You get blown, you, get, you, get, you, you hurt somebody or you do something, and there's always blood and stuff. I, it's, it's a great sport. Anyway, and... There's all this blood and stuff, and then they stick them in the penalty box. 
And they're there for like three minutes. And then they come back out and then they help their team. And during that time, it's called the power play. And that means the other team has an advantage, right? Here's the deal, church. There's a lot of you that have put yourself in the penalty box of life. And you're hindering your team, Coastal Community Church, because you don't think that you should be out there playing, serving with fourth and fifth graders, because if you knew what I had done, then there's no way I should be able to serve with fourth and fifth graders. There's no way I should be able to go on a missions trip. There's no way I should ever be a part of a small group. If people knew who I really was or what I've done, then there's no way. And I'm telling you today that God uses dysfunctional people. If he uses Jacob, he can use you. And he can use me. What did the Apostle Paul say? I'm the chief of all sinners. You don't think Apostle Paul had a bunch of guilt? He killed and persecuted Christians before he gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. Before God chose him, before God saved him, before he repented, believed, and received Christ and the gospel of Christ, The Apostle Paul killed and executed men, women, and children who claimed to be Christians. And God used him. And so all those excuses that you come up with, let me share something with you. If you've asked God to forgive you, and you've believed and received the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're chosen, and he wants to bless you, and he wants to use you. So stop claiming the victim mentality and putting yourself in the penalty box of life and get back out on the ice and let's score. Let's win. Stop giving the devil a power play. Because God wants to bless us in spite of us, not because of us. God blessed Jacob in spite of him. God does not look favorably upon lying. In fact, in Revelation, it says there are no liars in the kingdom of God, which means there's a point where you have to repent of your sin. But what does the Bible say in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've ever done anything so stupid and thought, I should be dead now, has that ever been you in your life? You're like, man, I can't believe I did that, and I still am alive as a Christian. Or you do something, and you're a Christian, and God protects you, even in the midst of you being sinful and stupid. Just understand that God's protecting you in spite of you, not because of you. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think or imagine, it's not when we are, feel like we're doing right God doesn't reward us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities, Psalm 103. No, God does it because we're his children. And I shared this story before, but when my son comes in and he's played with his poop and he's in his diaper and it's all over him and he wants me to, and then he falls down as he's coming to me and he's crying and he's covered in poop and he wants me to hold him. The last thing I want to do really is hold him. But what do I do? I pick him up and I embrace him. Why? Because he's my son. Yes, he's covered in poop. And then what do I do? Because he's my son, I go and I shower him off and hose him down. 
and clean him up until he takes a nap and does the exact same thing again. But he's my son. You're his son. You're his daughter. He's chosen you. He's adopted you. If you've invited Christ into your life, guess what? He wants to bless you. No, regardless of how much stuff you've done to yourself, how putrid you are, or think you are, God still loves you and he wants to use you. John 15, 15, Jesus chose his disciples and he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and ordained you that you would bear much fruit. God blesses Jacob's descendants. So understand this. So God accepted the future of Jacob, the deceiver and liar, and he rejected the future of Saul, violent and womanizer. Esau was a womanizer and he was very violent. Jacob was a deceiver and a liar. So both of them are filthy, rotten sinners. So it wasn't like Jacob was better than Esau. He said, I think that Jacob came to grips with his sin. He confessed his sin. I think that, that was the process of God accepting his future generations. Where Esau, the father of the Edomites, continued in their violent and womanizing ways. Number three is this, real quickly. God likes to start with the lost and the broken. So wherever you are, God wants to start right there. Amen. He wants to start wherever you are when you have nothing. First Peter chapter five, verses five through seven. Do we have that? Do we have that, the first Peter passage? I want to put it up on the screen. Okay, maybe not. No. Ah. So these little confidence monitors, they're really annoying and like look like, like we could hide and like lob stuff over or whatever. They're supposed to be on the floor. Eventually they will be, but it's, they can talk to me from the back. They have like little notes that come up. Um, anyway, that was totally for free. Like <laughs> has nothing to do with where we're going. God likes to start with the lost and broken. See, I'm lost, I'm broken. I'm lost in my notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 says this. I know we have that. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so Christ's power may rest on me. God is looking for the weak, the broken, the dumb to use. Why? Why is that? Why does God use the dysfunctional? Why does God use these people? Why does God use us? Because then, when we are open and transparent about our weaknesses, then people see that it's God in us and not us. It, it's, it's when the more exposed we are and say, look, yes, I'm a filthy, rotten sinner and I need Christ. The more we do that, it's Christ that works in us. It's Christ that changes me. It's Christ that transforms me. When we recognize that, then what happens is, then that's when God wants to use us even more. It begins with our humility, not our victimness. When we're broken down or people do things to us and we look and we say, God, why is this happening? Maybe it's because God wants to use you. It begins with your humility. 
We have, a, we have an entire generation of people that are victims that blame everybody else. Jacob could have been there. Now, in, in Genesis chapter 28, you see that Jacob then leaves. He runs away from his, his family. He's alone. He, he, he goes, and he's on his way to his uncle's house to work for him and to find a wife. And Jacob leaves, and he travels, and he has a dream with the Lord, and he sees Jacob's ladder. They call it Jacob's ladder. But the angels are going up and down the stairwell or the ladder, and God speaks to Jacob, and he meets him in the brokenness. Sometimes God is most close to us when we are most broken. The Bible says in Psalms that God is near to those who have a broken heart, and he saves those that have a contrite spirit. It doesn't begin with us blaming other people, but it's looking at us and saying, because of the sin, because of the fall, because of the things that are happening in this life, therefore, God, I look to you and I don't blame anybody else, even though they hurt me. But you don't understand they've hurt me. They've done things to me. Well, I know what they did to Christ and he forgave them. And on the cross, he looked out and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And we've got to turn and we've got to do the exact same thing. Our response to tragedy must make us either wounded healers or arrogant victims. Are you going to be a wounded healer or are you going to be an arrogant victim when tragedy strikes? Wounded healers are those that come along that have been abused or have been hurt, have been wounded, and they take that opportunity and they minister to other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that they too can be healers. Are they going to look and blame everybody else? We must embrace God in our submission, our brokenness, our service, our humility. God has not forgotten you. Embrace him. In Jacob's moment, so he's there in, in Genesis chapter 28, and he's laying on a rock by himself camping in Bethel. And God comes and visits him. In his loneliness, and his brokenness. And says, yes, I, you are the one. Yes, I am choosing you. Yes, I'm going to use you. Yes, you're going to have a great nation. Yes, yes, yes. And God says that to you today. Amen. If you're here today and you've disqualified yourself and you put yourself in the penalty box of life, and you've even maybe trusted and believed Jesus Christ, the gospel. The worship team's going to come out, and we're going to close out with a song. If that's you, it's time for you to get out of the penalty box and to say, Lord Jesus, every promise in this word is true, and it's not just for everybody else, but it's also for me. And God, I would ask that you would use me. And it doesn't matter what's happened to you. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, he will use you and he will bless you and he will change you. And the worship team must be partying right now because they didn't hear me. Come out. Um, there we go. Lazarus, come forth. Sorry. If you're here today and you are wondering, what does God have for me? What's the next step? What's the next thing? This is my prayer. My prayer is this. There'll be some people up here that would pray with you, encourage you. There'll be people in the prayer chapel. If you've never believed and received the gospel, it's my prayer that you would believe and receive the gospel. And you know what it is. You would know what it is to be chosen by God. 
and you would invite Jesus into your life, you would say, Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. Come into my life and save me. And he will make you new. But it's time for us to stop living in the penalty box. And it's time for us to go out and give engaged, to communicate the gospel to every single person we come in contact with. Just as Pastor Sam is in Jordan and he's proclaimed faithfully for over 20 years has been proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and now his church is getting it and they're ministering to people that the world has rejected. So God wants to use you just as he used Jacob. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, for an incredible example we have in Pastor Sam. Thank you, Father, for an incredible example we have in Jacob. Thank you, Lord God, for the incredible example you've given to us, Lord God, in your word over and over and over again of people, Ruth and Esther and Rahab, of, of David and Samuel. And there's, there's so many, Father, there's so many examples. And Peter... And Paul, there's so many examples in your word, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you would use us, bless us, to do everything that you've called us to do, Lord God. For you've prepared good works for us before the world even began according to your word in Ephesians 2. And so God, I pray, Lord God, that we would walk in that and we would do what you've called us to do, Lord God. Thank you and praise you for who you are. We love you and worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.